Purity culture was, and still is, a movement that started in the 1990s primarily within evangelical American Christianity, which emphasized individual sexual purity, generally associated with female chastity. Purity culture places a strong emphasis on abstinence before marriage. In some circles, dating was discouraged entirely to avoid premarital sex. The book I Kiss Dating Goodbye by Josh Harris promoted abstinence and popularized the concept of courtship as an alternative to dating. And this book sold over a million copies. It's pretty obvious from the scriptures that God wants Christians to live lives of sexual purity. But did purity culture promote a biblical vision of sexuality? Or did it use shame and fear? Or even worse, did it promote soft prosperity gospel? In that a certain methodology of relationships would deliver a happily ever after ending? A great marriage? A great sex life? Even though this isn't necessarily promised by Scripture? Well, welcome everybody to the Beards and Bible Podcast. My name is Josh. I'm joined this evening, not by Gabe. I'm joined by instead someone far prettier, and that's my wife Jenny. How you doing? I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. <laughs> How's your day been? I feel like we haven't really <laughs> talked a lot today. You doing good? You have a good day today? Oh, it's been a day. It's it's been fun. I had my work day yesterday, so I got to get up, get my coffee. And you you work at Waffle House, just for the record, so right? Yep, Waffle House. Okay, my waitress. So. Yep. Yep. Um, also knows, known as Gentiva Hospice. I'm a hospice nurse. So I got to mm. see patients yesterday. So Both are just, just as uh, therapeutic. <laughs> they are. Gentiva very, Hospice and Waffle House. Very so. therapeutic to the soul. <laughs> <laughs> so you worked so, yesterday, not today though. No, not today. Okay. Um, so I got to get get my coffee, sit down with the kids to try to start school since we homeschool. And before I could even do that, I got to clean up lots of toddler messes. We had yogurt and cereal all in a mess on the mm. floor. Uh, so I got to do that before diving into school. And then we took a little field trip to the greenhouse, to the plant farm. I got to get our vegetables for the year. So that was fun. And for those of you who don't know, Jenny is a, um avid gardener. So that's kind of just like a... Avid. It's a I'd hobby. I'm pretty I, avid at this point. You're an avid lawnmower. Well, that's true. I have <laughs> four acres to mow every week. So I've enjoyed learning about plants because I can grow them and groom them and raise them and they don't talk back to me. That's true. Same, same <laughs> I, can also, I can also take <laughs> care of them while the kids are outside playing. So I can have something to do while I'm outside with the kids. Now, so. I think we kind of got into landscaping during COVID because there was nothing to do. There was nowhere to go. It was during 2020. Yeah. Like legit. I was puking and pregnant and I was setting up our, it was, our landscaping. It was during lockdown. It was April of 2020 and we were in the house for about a year. Mm-hmm. And so... I kept thinking we're planting more and like they're making more and more beds and more and more beds and the beds have been expanding ever since kind of like the universe rapidly expanding. So every spring it's, uh, I'm not adding 
I'm not adding flower beds. It seems as though you are. <laughs> they are not getting any bigger. They're just getting more full of flowers. Whatever. <laughs> well, Jenny and I have been married coming up on 12 years this May. Holy cannoli. Yeah. And that's crazy to think about. But it's true. And uh, it's true. <laughs> and so... Uh, we met each other in 2009. I was around 24. You were 23. We were uh, was both. I was 23. You were. Oh, I was 23. You were 22. Never mind. I sometimes forget how old I am. Um, so, yeah, kind of what had formed a backdrop of our relationship when we first met, when we first started talking. Um, I could tell that you knew who Jesus was. I could tell that faith was a very important part of your life. But something that was very clear to me from the very beginning of our relationship is that you told me that you were saving yourself for your future husband, whoever that guy would be. Mm -hmm. And um, we started talking and you came from a background very similar to mine. And that is that you had grown up kind of in the same, we didn't know this was a phrase back then, but it was purity culture. And uh, I've, some of you know my story, let's listen to the podcast. I had grown up around that and in that as well. And so that kind of became a common ground for us as we started talking. But um, you want to share just a little bit about kind of how you were exposed to that before we kind of break down what purity culture is? That's a whole lot. <laughs> okay. That's a whole lot of wax. Do you want me to talk about what purity culture is first, and then we can go back to that? Yeah, why, why not? Okay. I feel like we need to like lay a foundation and a groundwork, because that's the whole lot, yeah. Okay. I'm trying to figure out where to go with that story. <laughs> yeah, okay. That's a good thing. Okay. So if you're listening and you're like, man, what the heck is purity culture? Well, purity culture was a movement that really started in the 1990s in church. And it was primarily in evangelical Christian circles. So if you grew up in, um, you know, the Catholic Church or you grew up in other places, th there were forms of this, but this was primarily evangelical. It and, was in the Catholic Church, too. Okay. So yeah, it was I've in the Catholic lots Church. i stories um, from people in the Catholic Church. Okay. Um, so strong emphasis on abstinence before marriage. Strong emphasis on... Um, particularly young ladies being chased. It was presented in a different way for us as guys, but I think the um, young women and youth groups and at youth conferences kind of got the um, lion's share of attention, I think. I don't know if that's fair or not to say, but it kind of I seems that I wasn't in way. your talks. I was only in my talks. <laughs> <laughs> so um, in my circle, the, the one that I grew up in, I grew up in a lot of like, really legalistic homeschool groups, the book that was required reading for everybody was I Kiss Dating Goodbye. And I Kiss Dating Goodbye by Josh Harris sold over a million copies. Very popular. Um, and what Josh Harris and others were essentially promoting was the concept of courtship, and that was <clears throat> an alternative to dating, that you 
were interested in somebody and you went and talked to their parents and then you kind of only courted each other with a chaperone around and then you got engaged and then you got married. Um, and so, yeah, that was a, it was a big thing. Another thing was modesty culture. So young women were really encouraged to dress modestly. Uh, modest is hottest. Was that a phrase? <laughs> um, but it was with the understanding that if you were not modest, you were then a stumbling block to the men in your life, young okay. men, older men. Yeah. And it was kind of on you if, if they stumbled. Okay. Because you were tempting them. Right. Um, is what, and I'm, I'm trying to speak generally and not just from my experience. Um, cause that is a big piece of it was the modesty piece and, um, the weight that was put on young women. Okay. In that. So yeah, th- that's definitely one that I, you know, being a dude, I didn't really hear that as much. Um, so purity rings were big. Mm-hmm. Purity pledges were big. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I, I found this as I was researching purity balls. I heard about these. Okay. Father daughter <laughs> dances. I did not attend a purity ball. <laughs> I did go to father daughter dances with my girl scout. Okay. That's that good. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 It was more of a sock hop. It was fun. Okay. We did not do purity. Balls. No purity and balls. Okay. No, yeah. No. Um, at first I thought it was like a, like a Pokemon ball, like, oh, like there's purity rings and then you have a purity ball, but, um, Hey, so like the Bible is very clear that sexual purity is God's intention for us. Mm-hmm. So this movement was grounded in biblical truth. Um, I want to read a scripture. This is first Thessalonians four, um, three through eight. It says, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So in that verse, when the scriptures say you should avoid sexual immorality, the Greek word is pornoneia, and pornoneia is essentially any form of sexual activity that happens outside of God's design for one man, one woman in the context of marriage. So obviously this includes sex before marriage, extramarital sex, homosexuality, pornography, all of that, and this is like pretty black and white. Like, don't do that. That's not God's will for you. You should be pure. And really there's a couple of reasons. Um, first says that like, there's going to be consequences. It says in verse six, the Lord will punish all those who commit such sins. So like God takes this serious that like, we're supposed to be pure and there are consequences for that. Mm-hmm. Um, the second reason that's given in the scripture is it says, this is the life that God has called us to live. So like, that's the, normative Christian life that if you're following Jesus, you're going to pursue his plan for human sexuality. And then the third is if you reject God's teaching on this, it says you don't reject a human being, you reject God, the very God who gives the spirit. So as we were going through the deconstruction episode, um, episodes that Gabe and I did, one of the things that kept popping up over and over again from people who were deconstructing their faith was this, 
dismissal of all sexual ethics that the Bible teaches as being a byproduct of legalistic purity culture. Yeah. And I think that purity culture has gotten a bad rap. And we'll talk about some of those reasons here in a minute. But we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. I agree. Because it straight up says in, in the scriptures that like, if you ignore the Bible's teaching on sex, you're not ignoring somebody's opinion. You're not ignoring someone's interpretation. You're ignoring the spirit of God that says God's will is for us to live pure. God's will is for us to not have sex before marriage, sex outside of marriage, like pornography, to engage in same-sex relationships. Like that's black and white from the scriptures. Um, but purity culture has gotten a really bad rap over the years. Um, and I think... Some of that's fair. Some of that's not fair. So what have you heard from critics that um, have really gone after purity culture recently? Mm, I wasn't prepared for that question. Um, that it's very legalistic a lot of shame was involved in purity culture that um it was very narrow-minded um it doesn't really leave much options open for sexual exploits and what have you yeah but um a lot of the damage that happened as a result of purity culture um, there's a lot of stories that came out of this. There's in preparing for this, I, I kind of dove into, cause I, I, I love people's stories and I, I love to know what makes someone who they are. Um, and the things that they've come through. And so that's kind of where I went and, over the last few days, because I really felt like that was important. And some of the stories that I heard um, were people who were thankful for their upbringing in purity culture, that they did save themselves and that they're thankful for that within their marriage. But there was also um, stories of young women specifically. I didn't really hear many from from men, not to exclude them, but um, from young women that um, maybe were sinned against, um, that there was sexual abuse done to them. Mm. Sorry. Um, and that they felt less than and worthless and um, that they were of no value any longer because they no longer had the special gift to give to someone someday. Mm. Um, whether that was taken from them or whether that was a choice that they made on their own. Um, I think that's the, the damage that it can be done because within, I know we haven't kind of gotten to this point yet, but um, within the world of purity culture, one thing that I have a hard time with is that I felt like it was void of the gospel in that, um, there wasn't, there was a lot of extra biblical teaching and not a lot grounded in scripture to be able to refer back to being a lot of rules to keep and lists to keep. 
and boxes to check rather than the heart of the matter. And that is loving God with all of your heart and wanting to honor him and serve him with, with all that you are in your body. And so void of that, you have someone who has sinned or been sinned against and they're not told there's forgiveness and healing at the foot of the cross. And um, I see that in a much different light now Sure. in my 30s than I did as a teen. Um, but um, I think because of that, going back to your original question, I think it's gotten a really bad rap yeah. um, from the Christian circles and also especially outside Christian circles. Sure. So f- the critics of it from Christians, most of them are not saying hey, you should just scrub away the Bible's sexual ethic. It's more of the way that this was practiced, the way that this was taught, the way that this was implemented doesn't seem to be as much grounded on the gospel and grace and redemption. It seems to be it was implemented in other ways. Mm -hmm. I think some of it was with good intention. Um, Some stories that I heard, it started around the... 94 and some of it was um, coming out of the sexual revolution and like you had the AIDS epidemic and stuff like that. And so some of it was um, with the best of intentions to protect, to protect the youth in that generation of like, let's, we can't spread STDs and have babies if we're just not having sex. And yes, and amen to that. Like, absolutely. You're correct in that. But in the way that it was gone about, there was so much, there was even like misinformation that was delivered in it. So Hmm. then I think it creates a skeptic mindset of like, okay, you say this is wrong, but you're also not giving factual information. Um, And some examples that I heard of that was like the use of condoms and that, the example was given, you can still get pregnant with a condom, but the HIV virus is smaller than a sperm cell. So you could still get STDs with condoms. So you just don't use them all together. That information wasn't actually true whenever Hmm. you went back to the science of it. And so I think, I think the intentions, it was well intended to protect, to protect people um, and wanting the best for their life. But I think with it, the, the way that it was gone about and not by all circles, but like the way that it had, had been gone about, I think, um, it could be kind of destructive. Sure. Yeah. So, so one of the biggest criticisms of the movement is, you know, like Jenny said, 1994, that was kind of the big emergence of this you had the true love weights movement um a lot of conferences stuff like that and critics started to look at all the data that coming back from these big rallies and these big conferences and essentially they found that the sexual behavior of teens who had taken a purity pledge did not differ at all from that of those who did not take the purity pledge um so here's some numbers and this is kind of Disappointing. So five years after the pledge, 82% of the people who pledged denied ever having pledged. <laughs> I kind of just think that's that's sad, but that's kind of funny. They just, you know, 
Oh yeah, I'll save myself. And then, okay, no, I never made that foul. Um, by the way, just kind of an interesting stat that I found: um, only five percent of new brides today are virgin. That was actually in the, the 2010, so that number is probably a lot lower than that today. So that's just kind of a sidebar. Specifically, bar. women, or was that? No, specifically just women. I couldn't find men, so it's probably lower than men. So interesting. Um, so yeah, so it's gotten a bad rap because critics said, number one, it didn't work. But secondly, like, and if you have listened to all our deconstruction episodes, you've probably picked up on this. Like our culture at large has rejected the biblical perspective on sexuality. And so I think concerns on the, the purity culture movement are framed through a secular worldview, not a biblical worldview. That's very narrow minded. Yeah, exactly. They'll say it's narrow minded. Um, abstinence before marriage is an outdated concept. Um, and even worse yet, like stuff saying that, um, oh, my camera didn't go off. Okay. We're still good. We're still recording. All right. Sorry. My screensaver hopped on. I thought we were done. Um, even saying that like, Hey, so this is, uh, true love waits. That's men and women. Like it doesn't even talk about same sex relationships. And so people say, well, it's, it's uh, discriminatory against same-sex couples for that reason. So there's that. Um, but like legitimate concerns, Jenny brought up a couple, that some people are concerned that the movement seemed based on fear and shame. Mm-hmm. Some were concerned that the movement overemphasized the importance of sex, like turning sex into an idol by focusing too much on it. Mm-hmm. So instead of keeping the focus on Christ, it was almost like what defines you as a Christian is the fact that you were staying abstinent instead of, no, I'm following Jesus. Yeah. Which I think that's a fair criticism. I, I think it's very fair. Yeah. Um, Jenny, you mentioned this earlier, de-emphasize grace. Yeah. So if you lost your virginity before marriage or you were sexually abused or taken advantage of, then... You'd be damaged goods, and why would anybody at all want to marry you? Yeah. Um, it added extra biblical rules to male-female relationships. So um, the whole idea of courtship in the circles that I was in, in the homeschool circles, that was taught as gospel. Like if you didn't believe in courtship, then you, you didn't believe the Bible. You were a carnal Christian that clearly didn't love Jesus if you didn't believe in courtship. And so it created just like legalism upon legalism upon legalism. And many of the couples who went through the courtship thing almost believed this formula that like if you didn't kiss before you were married, if you didn't have sex before you were married, if you courted this person, if you followed the formula that, you know, these circles gave, then your marriage was going to be awesome because God owed you that. And then people get married and they start having problems. (laughs) Because you're a sinner married to a sinner. Exactly. And there's always going to be problems. Yep. And so the whole thing of, holy cow, did I marry the wrong person? Or God, you owed me this. Like, I mean, did you feel like that message was preach that like if you do this 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 and this then god owes you this and he will do this for you 
I don't know if I was told that specifically, but I, I think it, it came across in the teaching that way of you follow this, you will have the, the best marriage. Um, and you'll have the best married sex that you can possibly have because you saved yourself. Yeah. Not that I completely disagree with, with that completely, but there, it, another criticism that the purity culture has gotten is an overemphasis on idolizing sex without a lot of good teaching on sex. Hmm. So it's an uh, overemphasis on don't do it. It's dirty. All of these kinds of things before marriage. And then like, Oh, you're married. Just have at it. Once they got to the have at it phase, they didn't know what the heck was going on and what to do. Yeah. And so there's been lots of couples that got on the other side of marriage and saw like natural things to work through and learning each other in that way. And I've heard some people even say like, it felt like they were sold a box of air because they were like, this is, is the thing that I was hinging my entire life upon. Right. And then you're there and like, it's good and all, but like, it's not like, it's not salvific. It's not the thing <laughs> yeah. that all life was created yeah. to lead up to. Yeah. So, yeah. sorry. That was kind of no, no, no. That's good. So kind of with that in mind now, we were both brought up in this. Mm-hmm. Um, I was brought up in a stricter version of this because I was brought up in homeschool culture that was courtship. You don't ever even <laughs> touch a woman. You don't even look at her, right? I mean, it was <laughs> defiled. If you're listening to the audio version, Jenny just touched me. So, um, so here's a bit of my story. I'll go first so Jenny feels more safe. Um, <laughs> I was brought up in this. I remember making that pledge, making that commitment I, when I was probably, I don't know, 13, 14. I didn't actually really understand how sex worked all the way, but I was like, yeah, I'm never having it until I'm married. Um, I don't think that's required to make a commitment <laughs> like that, just so you know. To know how it works? No, I don't think you have to know all the nitty-gritty details to know that you okay. want God's best in your life, Josh. Yes, okay, that's what I was signing up for. <laughs> so, um, then in my young manhood, I... Of course, kind of started walking away from that. I didn't have my first girlfriend until I was 19. And I was very, 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 very paranoid of like crossing any boundaries at all. Like just like hyper paranoid. Um, It wasn't a good functional Christ-centered relationship. Not that there was anything wrong with this girl. She was a sweet girl, but like it wasn't a healthy relationship. That relationship didn't work. So we broke up and then I got in other relationships and um, in those relationships, lines were crossed physically. And almost immediately when they were, 
what went on in my mind is I've got to marry this person because I crossed the line physically. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I put so much pressure on those relationships very, very soon and very quickly because there was the thought of, oh my gosh, we're probably going to have sex. So we need to make sure that we're planning on getting married so we won't have sex or Mm -hmm. so we can get married quick. So then we can have sex because the worst thing ever would be getting, um, having sex before marriage. Mm -hmm. And so, um, there were relationships I stayed in that were really toxic and unhealthy, but I almost thought to myself, because I've crossed physical lines, I can't break this off with this person. Um, because I, I've kind of already promised a part of myself to that person. There are several stories that I heard <clears throat> people share is that they even ended up marrying people that they crossed lines with, whether it was having sex with them or not, but feeling like if they, if they left that relationship and went on to someone else, they were worthless and useless and no one would even desire them. And so they stayed in toxic, unhealthy, abusive relationships. Yep. So that's obviously not a a good thing, but it was because of, it was because of some of that teaching and not understanding Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, it's good to know that that's not, that wasn't just me. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that was in college and then in graduate school, it was kind of the same thing. And then I kind of had this period and I've shared this before on the deconstruction episode where I would just had so much baggage and shame and guilt and all this other stuff that I just kind of, um, I think just stuck my middle finger in the air to all things, purity culture, all things, you know, related to how I grew up and the the Christianity I'd held to and, um, you know, had a horrible pornography addiction, um, would have these quasi relationships with girls that I didn't really care about that we would cross lines physically together. But I always kind of had in the back of my head, I can't go all the way because I took this pledge and I want to save that part of myself for my spouse, but in, even then that's pretty hypocritical to go, well, I'm not going all the way, but, mm-hmm. but it was kind of that, I guess that legalism, I guess that I was sort of justifying because, mm-hmm. um, because of that. So I was a mess. I was a wreck. I had all sorts of baggage. I had all sorts of shame. I had all sorts of guilt. Some of it because of my own sin, some of it because of me running from God, but some of it because of some of this stuff. And that's when I met you. Hi. <laughs> Hi. I'm Josh. I'm a basket case. How are you? And uh, so, yeah, I went first. That's me. That's how I grew up in this movement. So so that's what got you to 2009. That's what got me to 2009. So talk about you for a second. I want to get down to the nitty gritty. Who is this? Jennifer. <sighs> um, so I, I grew up within the, the purity movement. But um, this was something that was really, it was a really important topic in in my house growing up. Um, um, Within the 
purity movement, there was... Trying to figure out how to go about this whole story, but because um, I'm I'm not embarrassed or ashamed of my story. Um, but this decision that I made to save myself kind of ended up. It ended up becoming like my identity, whether I liked it or not. Growing up, hmm. um, especially in my adolescence. Um, so this, doing this episode is very, very, it's probably the most vulnerable I probably have ever been. Um, so trying to figure out how to go about this conversation is just a really hard one for me because I was, I saw, I saw that whenever people found out this fact about me that I was saving myself, I had people that would push me away, that they didn't want anything to do with me um, as far as friendships went because of either they thought I thought less of them because of a decision that I had made, um, or I saw that my decision seemed to hurt people. And so this is actually a piece of my story that I haven't really shared with anybody in probably 13 years because I don't want to hurt people. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't want someone to think that I think less of them because of whatever their story may be. Um, so that's why I'm hesitant to share some of, some of this because I've seen it seems to have hurt people in the past. And at the heart of who I am, I don't want to hurt someone. So hear me in that before I share whatever I need to share. Well, I, I just um, want to say like, I so appreciate you being vulnerable and sharing this. And you've said to me that you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater and, and, 100%. and say, Hey, all this stuff that I was brought up in is ter terrible, awful. No. I can't believe how dumb this stuff was. Like that's not your heart. And your heart is also not that you want to say, oh, look, I'm a perfect wife and I had a perfect marriage and it's because I did perfect things that led Absolutely. me to this perfect point. And so you agreeing to do this is really your heart is to want to help people that are probably processing some of the same stuff that we've had to navigate even yeah. as a married couple. Yeah. My prayer is that in sharing our story and in my story that maybe there's somebody that can relate um, and understand that they're not alone. Yeah. So, and I know that some of my story may be a little unique to others, but, um, anyways, um, in my home growing up, um, my mom was actually an abstinence educator. Um, and she did that through the pregnancy support center, which was wonderful. My mom was very good at it. Um, so all that to say, the only reason I bring that up is because it was a topic that was really talked about in my home growing up. Um, whenever I was 13, my parents took me out to a really sweet dinner and, um, gave me a white rose. They gave me, um, a gold ring that had a little rosebud on it. And I wore it on my left hand, um, until the day I got married. And, um, it was a night that was really important and it was understanding that, um, Sex was a gift that needed to be saved for my husband. 
and I stayed true to that promise. Well, um, after that point, uh, the True Love Waits movement kind of came out and you saw more rings come out. So it wasn't completely weird that I did have one. Um, but um, I had several people in high school and even college be like, what are you married? You're only 15. Hmm. Um, and so I would I would share. I'm like, yeah, I, I'm, it's just a choice that I've made to, to save myself. And so that's whenever I noticed that people would treat me different and push me away. Um, it was a great way to get dates. I yeah. Tell you that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I did have my first boyfriend whenever I was, um, 15 going on 16. Um, very wholesome, not a whole lot going on. And I had another relationship in high school. Um, really great guys. Um, can't say anything about that. But um, whenever I went to college, and I remember this point very, very vividly, I would I marched in the Band of Blue at MTSU. I marched the Melophone, and I showed up for band camp. I had my ring on, like I it lived on my hand. And um, I had somebody ask me; they teased me about being married at only 18 years old, and I I told them that I wasn't. And um, from that point on, I was known as the Little Virgin Mary of the band of blue. And, um, I noticed a couple things happened. Either I was teased about it, which is all well and good. Um, but again, it was really hard to be able to relate to people and, um, have them see me as more than my decision whenever I really just wanted to make friends. Um, but I also was seen as um, a prize to be won hmm. by some other um, guys around me. And so it made dating very confusing because um, I didn't know what their intentions were. Um, and so I really had to have a hard defense up whenever I was um, talking to people because um, I didn't know what, their, what they intended in our relationship. And, um, I really just enjoy getting to know people and I want to make friends. And so, um, I guess at my point in sharing that it kind of made some unique challenges, but, um, I also had to know why I made the decision that I made and I made the choice to stand firm in that decision. Um, it made me really, really, um, look at my values. So, I went into dating relationships saying, hi, I'm Jenny. This is who I am. I like to go hiking on the weekend and also I'm saving myself for marriage. And, um, that's that a good is, line. Good line to lead off with. Yeah. That is, yeah. that is what started our, our conversation as well. Whenever we first met and I was like, yeah, it's part of who I am. Yeah. So when we met, you and I started talking. We started talking about our faith. We started talking about our background. Mm-hmm. I was not in a good place. I was kind of coming out of a season of rebellion, and I made a tremendous amount of mistakes. Um, and so when I met you and you shared that part of yourself with me, I so admired that because I said, I remember saying to you, like, hey, that's so awesome that you're willing to, like, take that stance and to do something that you really feel is important to you and, and stand for that. 
And, you know, and I shared, I don't know how long it was when I was talking where I shared with you that like, Hey, I made that commitment too. Like I'm not doing so great at it right now, but I didn't make that commitment. I don't, do you remember we were, I mean, did it come out after we started dating or when did we, when did I share that with you? Cause I don't think we I think started off. One of the first, like literally this was a conversation that we had just as friends down at the end of um, the pier one night. Really? Okay. Yeah. We met at camp. So that's what we're When you say down about. at the end of the pier, people are going to think, and then, like and then we broke it. No, <laughs> just kidding. Um, no, we, we, we managed to survive the pier with that vow still intact. Um, okay. Well, I guess we talked about it very early on and mm-hmm. then we started dating. Yeah. You ditched me. You went all the way to Korea. <laughs> so <laughs> we started dating and two weeks after we started dating, I left to go teach English as a second language in South Korea. Yeah. And for the first six months of our relationship, we could only talk over Skype. And so we mm-hmm. talked and we got really close really fast. We didn't have any of that temptation of <laughs> having sex because we weren't even close. We couldn't touch it each other. It was nice, but I also so, knew that you really just wanted to get to know me. And it was really, it was really a blessing. Yeah, it ended up being a blessing. So I came back and we started dating in person and we made that commitment that that was going to be something that we waited mm-hmm. and then we got engaged and it was really difficult. It was really challenging. We had to make a decision before we got in hairy situations to, to, to walk away from it. Yeah. And it, it was very, very challenging. We yeah. weren't perfect at it all the time, but we, we made that decision together and we respected each other in it. Yeah. So I, I think like some of the remnants of that purity culture thing, I think that we started noticing as we were dating and engaged and preparing for marriage, you know, the positives where we kind of agreed both, hey, this is like a sacred thing and we, we really want to like, you know, save this for each other. Mm-hmm. But I also think that not meaning to, we kind of made sex into an idol. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I. Now, 12 years into marriage, looking back, yeah. I think that we over-idolized sex and virginity to the point that, like, this was the culmination of all the things, and it was going to make make you a complete person <laughs> once you got to that point. Yeah. I'm snickering because I remember how bad we were at it when we first started doing it. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, so throughout our marriage, or throughout our, excuse me, engagement and our dating relationship, I think that far too much emphasis got placed on that to the exclusion of probably preparing for other things because we had almost been taught and trained that, again, that's almost salvific when you get to that point. And on our wedding day, it was really sweet. You gave me the gift of your purity ring. Mm-hmm. And so for the past 12 years, I've worn that as a necklace around my neck yeah. every day. And I think that's really sweet. It's a reminder of my commitment to you to be pure for you. Um, and I'm not going to cry. <laughs> so we said our vows. We got married. And then... We had a great reception. We had a great reception. Can I say we threw down. It was we great. We had a party of a party. And then we had to leave and get into the car 
and Gabe was one of my groomsmen. And um, they had a lot of condoms in that car. My groomsmen all had written all over the car. Um, they had very crude things written on the car. They don't need to know that. <laughs> we are trying to they, take care okay. of our listeners. And I'm just throwing Gabe under. I'm throwing Gabe under the bus again because he was responsible in some way. Um, rocket ships were drawn, if you know what I mean. Um, we didn't know though because it was drawn on the sunroof of the car, and we didn't know that. So yeah, that's um, funny. So we um, we got to our wedding night. <laughs> It was very sweet. It was very sweet. You are absolutely right. It was very sweet. It was very holy. And I mean that. I'm not being facetious at all. It was. It was a beautiful thing. However, we were pretty terrible at it. Which would be expected. Which would be expected. I would not change that for anything. I would not either. But. But. Because of all the voices of the past... And what we were raised in, I think there was a point where it was like, okay, and then what? Yeah. Yeah. Because there was very much the spiritual unity that happened within, like, between a married couple that it was just, it's a, a beautiful spiritual thing. But there, there was the idolizing of sex. Yeah. Definitely reared its ugly head. Yes. So, <clears throat> honeymoon was good. We had a lot of really awkward, not great sex, but it was really sweet. Uh, <laughs> I don't think they need to know that. <laughs> <laughs> They're smart people. They can put two, two together. We were both burning. So, um, first six months of our marriage were great. And then, like, just everyday life and getting to know each other and all sorts of stuff started cropping up. Um, one of the things as a dude, I think that I had been almost subtly told through purity culture was control the beast that lives within you. That's called your sex drive. Control them, control them, control them. And then to control him, mm-hmm the payoff and reward is you're going to get married to an actual woman and then you can let the beast out. And anytime you want sex, you can just have sex because you'll have an actual woman sleeping next to you in your bed. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny now, 12 years looking back, but, um, didn't happen. Yeah. So shocking. That was a very weird thing to work through because it was Mm -hmm. like, I felt entitled to basically be as selfish as humanly possible when it came to this thing called sex. And that entitlement stemmed from a place of, I saved myself for you. I didn't sleep around with all these other girls. And I owed you. And you owe me, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and if you're married, you know exactly, like, that's probably the worst attitude ever to have, to build unity and to foster intimacy and to actually understand how sex operates. And so that led to like a lot of baggage to sort through, a lot of wounds that I gave you because I, I guilted you and I acted very selfish and self-centered in that. Mm-hmm. But it came from that place of entitlement, almost as if like, this is mine now. I don't have to control my 
self when it comes to sex. I have a wife now. She's supposed to meet every need. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was something that I, I figured out. It took me a while to figure it out. But, I mean, that's something I saw popping up, and I think that was a part of that. I mean, what, what are some things that you saw popping up that you um, maybe think were residual effect of some of the stuff that you you've been brought up in? I think what came about after we were married is I was told relentlessly sex makes babies, sex is dirty, sex is wrong. But once you get married, it's all good. But sex is dirty, sex is wrong, it's yucky, and don't forget sex makes babies and all the STDs that come along with it. So Whenever that's programmed in you for so many years, after you say I do, those things don't just go away. So I was petrified of getting pregnant. We didn't want to get pregnant for like at least a few years um, because we were in debt up to our eyeballs and we wanted to get out of debt. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was up to me. I don't want to get pregnant. Um, So that was fun to have in the back of your brain every single time that you enter an engagement. Um, so it <laughs> sounds like a military term. I'm about to enter into an engagement. <laughs> Charge. You want to have-, <laughs> <laughs> have sex with your husband and be fully present. And your mind is going, don't get, don't get pregnant. Don't get pregnant. Don't get pregnant. Sex makes babies. It's not fun. Yeah. And then there was also, there was, There was a lot of shame for me as a woman that that came with it. Um, It did feel dirty and wrong. At times, there wasn't a lot of freedom. Um, I think I tried um, to do that. Um, But there was a piece of me that felt very shameful like if I wanted something too much it made me dirty and um because within purity culture especially as a woman you were told to shut it down like if you start feeling any feelings oh my goodness you better shut it down and whenever you physiologically do that over and over and over and over and over again and then it's go time your your body's learned this response. And so there was a lot of undoing of that. And I'm yeah. not saying that it's all completely wrong because yes, we are told in scripture to control our urges, to 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 control our bodies, just like as a man before marriage and even during marriage, that we're con- to control those sexual urges and be in control of our body. Right. right, right, right. Um so it's not all wrong, but What I think could have been done differently is the level of shame and guilt um, and fear component that happened within it. Um, Because that has been a lot of undoing within our marriage, um, working through that, especially, especially the fear of pregnancy. Like even, even talking about like, I referred back to it earlier, but like the use of condoms and like the, the misinformation that happened there, mm-hmm. it made me so scared as to like, what is the proper form of birth control? If we, 
of course, like babies are going to come when they're supposed to, but like it yeah. was this like, what do we do? Well, and also we waited, you know, we got married. I was 25, you were 24. We waited till we got out of debt. We got into a house. I was kind of settled into my, my ministry. Mm-hmm. And then we said, okay, let's start trying to, to get pregnant. And we started trying to get pregnant and it didn't happen. And sex makes babies. And I couldn't figure out why we weren't having a baby. And I think that goes back to the idolizing of sex. It also goes back to God owes me this because I saved myself. And like, this is the act in which he said that a child would be born. And like, it's not happening. Yeah. And so going, going through that time where we were hoping to get pregnant and it wasn't happening as fast as we really had hoped that it would. It was really confusing. Yeah. And it really, I think it was a, it caused me to grow a lot in my faith because um, we both can be a little type A and like mm-hmm. we, we like to plan our lives. We like to control the things. And I realized that of all things in my life, this would conceiving a child was the most out of my hands experience I have probably ever been in in my entire life. And it was the point that I've had to fully trust the Lord in that. And it was very challenging. Yeah. And honestly, like, I feel like that the reason that was so challenging is because even though we probably would never admit that this is where we were, we both kind of bought into the mythology of the formula but you do this, and then God owes you this. So we played by the rules. We did it perfect. God, why are you not giving us what's ours? And I think that it was very humbling and honestly had to lead to a place of repentance to go, God, everything you give is a gift. And even this thing called sex is a gift, but it's not God. Yeah. And this thing called sex is no replacement for you. And Mm -hmm. Lord, help us understand, like, where does this go in our marriage? Um, I had to repent and bring that to the Lord of, like, I I had so many self-centered misunderstandings about sex from that entitlement mentality. And honestly, from pornography. Yeah, that didn't help anything. That didn't help anything because that's <laughs> that's realistic. Uh, said no one ever. And um, so yeah, like I think unhinging what life actually was like from some of the happy, clappy, happily ever after mythology that we were taught. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that that was painful, and it was almost like when you you know, realize that Santa's not real. Like, <laughs> like, oh gosh, you mean that I was told, which by the way, which is worse. <laughs> okay. I'm just going to say this as a detour. I never believed that Santa was real because my parents were like, Santa's the devil. Jenny believed that Santa was real too. You're like a sophomore in high school. Is that That right? is not true. <laughs> not a sophomore, but probably like 11 or 12 years old. That, which I... is super impressive. I trusted my parents. <laughs> my parents were like, Christmas is about Jesus, sin is the devil. And so I was like, okay, Santa's not real, I guess. My, my naive thinking, I'm like, 
yeah. just I just trust. Anyway, if I did believe in <laughs> Santa, um, it was almost like waking up and going, holy cow, like so much of what we were told about how easy this would be and how great this would be and how happy ever after would be like, we're still sinners that need God's grace. Mm-hmm. We still have repenting to do. We still have stuff to work through. For me, it was the thought of all of my sexual temptation is going to get fixed when I get married because I'm going to have an actual woman I can have sex with. And finding out that is not the case. It's actually just as difficult, if not even more difficult, to stay sexually pure after you're married. Yeah. Um, but God was really good to us. We, I think, experienced just a tremendous amount of God's grace when our son Aiden was born. Um, we struggled for a while to get pregnant. We got pregnant. We had a miscarriage. That was very painful. That was very hard on you. I, I was, yeah, I was processing it. I didn't know how to feel about it. I think because we had been hoping for so long for a baby and then it didn't happen according to how we thought it would. And then we were just close to giving up. And then we got pregnant with Aiden. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole nother God story in that. And then um, Aiden was born and something happened like when we went through that together, we went through that whole painful season when Aiden was probably seven or eight months old, I think we started to just experience a new level of intimacy in our relationship in general. Yeah, with this sex is just a byproduct of the relationship in anyways. And that that's also what never really got talked about is just don't just don't do it but like understanding the health of your marriage and like focusing on your spouse and learning how to communicate in all things like in and out of the bedroom everything else just just comes naturally i yeah i mean it I think I think any of this is just growing in relationship with another person yeah. and and having grace on each other and learning how to um, to communicate. Well, and it was almost like when we stopped putting so much pressure on that part of our marriage to be something that fixed everything else, and we actually started working on knowing each other and loving each other mm-hmm. and serving each other that all of a sudden something happened, you know, five, six years into our marriage where we started experiencing just a tremendous amount of freedom and intimacy in that area of our marriage that we had never experienced before. And it just was really, really beautiful. And it was really surprising, I think, because I think we thought that, you know, as newlyweds, it's going to be the best it ever is. And then it was like, no, after you go through hard times, after you sin against each other and repent and God deals with your heart on stuff and then you give up idols and then you go through suffering and then you go through loss and then you experience God's blessing and his grace, then like you release all of your expectations and then God's grace shows up in this particular area and you get to receive it as the gift that it is instead of 
treating it as an idol that it's not. Mm-hmm. And so um, that that was a really painful journey to get to that point. But I'm really grateful um, that God was merciful with us in that to get us to that point. Mm-hmm. But we've got three kids, two boys and a girl. And the world that they're growing up in is even more sexually charged than the world that you and I grew up in. Mm-hmm. So what kinds of things do you want to teach our kids about purity as they grow up? And what kinds of things maybe do we want to say and approach differently than maybe how it was presented to us? I don't know. How are you going to handle this? <laughs> That's why I said that to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think we are going to figure out a lot one step at a time and learning our children and raising them in community. We will have other people that have gone before us and gleaning a lot of wisdom from them. So I'm going to say that first because I have not figured this out. We just started talking about this. That's true. Our oldest is seven, so he has no idea how these things work. No, and he shouldn't for a long time. Yeah. Um, But where I would want to start is is the Bible and that it's a matter of how how we want to serve God and follow God and what God's best in our life, understanding the protection put in place by those guidelines that he put because he created it and he designed it and he knows how it's best operated. And so getting to the heart of the matter and also what I would have loved to hear more of, and I heard like little tinges of this, but it definitely was not spoken of as much. There's two different ways to teach somebody anything. And that is fear, shame, berating them, all these rules and regulations, da, 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 do this, don't do that. And then there's also appealing to them as far as like, if you do this, in this context, and this is the reward later. And this is some of the beauty that can happen. And understanding like the beauty that is within marriage whenever Mm -hmm. it comes to sex. Um, I don't know how to navigate that conversation, but that would be my hope. And to focus on that. Sure, there's the factual things of pregnancy and STDs, but I don't think that that is the sole reason why you don't. So you're saying that the motivator that you hope that we can give our kids is not, Hey, you don't want syphilis, do you? But instead like your penis is going to fall off. (laughs) (laughs) That'll show them. That'll keep them abstinent. Right. Um, no, I, I I think that's the first time on beards of Bible podcast. We've said those words. So congratulations, Jenny. (laughs) She's a nurse. She says anatomical words. Um, Sorry, so, that's what you get for, for having me on the podcast. Yeah, exactly. No, like mm-hmm. motivating through fear and shame, mm-hmm. don't do this because this thing bad will happen, or motivating through um, almost like superficial rewards. Hey, if you do this, then God's going to do this for you automatically. I think either one of those can be 
mis misused. I think the the intention to get someone's behavior to be a certain thing is the intention is good, but I would like to think that like beauty is always the thing that captures the heart and causes someone to want to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. And the beauty that we are presenting is not the beauty of sex. Ultimately it's the beauty of Christ Mm -hmm. and the sense that man, he's worthy of our obedience and his ways are what is best for us and all things. And we can trust him in this. And, And this is a beautiful thing. This is an amazing thing. Um, but it's an area to grow in just like every area. Exactly. Yep. It's not salvific. It's not the end all be all. It's not, you know, your marriage can be basically the sum total of what you do in the bedroom. And as long as you've saved yourself for your marriage, you're going to have a good marriage as long as you saved yourself. That's really work. Exactly. Every single day that you wake up, every single piece of your marriage takes work. Yeah. And I think what I would especially want to show my boys is, like that whole mythology about, you know, oh, you're just a beast. This sex drive you've got is just this like really crazy thing inside of you and you just need to control the beast. And then when you get married, you let the beast out as much as you want. Like, hey, guy, like self-control is something you have to continue. Mm -hmm. And like you can't blame women for making you lust. If you lust, you can't blame them for that. You need to be the one that bounces your eyes because you're following Jesus and you're following his plan for your life, not mm-hmm. what the world says. Um, and also just like the gospel, like if our kids ever do um, end up having sex before they're married, my hope and prayer is that we don't shame them to the point where they're not able to like be transparent and honest and open and confess it because they're thinking mom and dad are going to kill me if they ever find out. So I'm just going to stuff and hide and cover, but rather they can know and understand that like, man, God redeems and restores and Jesus still wants us even after we have sinned because that's the kind of God that he is. Um, because I think that's part of the reason why I didn't get healing from pornography for a long time because I thought, well, golly, like nobody's going to think I'm worth anything because I'm struggling with this. So, but yeah, is there anything else you want to say about this topic before we sign off and hmm. leave people to, to ponder, ponder the topic of human sexuality? I don't know. This it's. I, w- I was feeling pretty anxious leading up to this, just because I know this is it's controversial. I know that it there's there's so much to this topic. Um, it's a very it's a complicated one. So I'm not, I don't ever want us to sound like we're oversimplifying it. But um, going back to the gospel, I mean that's where all of this comes from but um, hey I want to say this too if you're listening to this and you're someone who has made um, mistakes in your sex life like 
welcome to the club. There is no one righteous, no, not one. There's not nobody perfect in this. Um, please know that the grace of Jesus is so much bigger than anything that you could possibly ever do that would make you feel like you're disqualified from ever being considered pure. You are pure because his blood covers you and makes you pure. Absolutely. That's what makes you pure, not your own works righteousness. Mm-hmm. And when we understand his grace and forgiveness and love for us, that causes us to want to follow his commands. And so, um, yeah, believe the gospel and know that he's, he's good and he loves you and, and he makes us pure even when we're not on our own because our own righteousness is like filthy rags. And that's the good news of the gospel, not that we can be perfect and have perfect marriages because we're perfect because no one can do that. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. This week and we teach verse by verse, chapter by chapter and in our, in, in our um, congregation. And um, we happen to be in the eighth chapter of John. And in that we hear the story of the adulterous woman and, um, I thought it was really appropriate leading into this conversation because obviously it's been really, really heavy on my heart and like on my mind constantly. But um, I thought that it's such a beautiful reminder of what happens to our sin whenever Jesus steps in the picture. And he says, you've been forgiven and go and sin no more. And she was no longer known as the adulterous woman. She then got a name again, because that's who she was in her community. And no matter what our sinful behavior is that happened to be hers, all of us have our own set of struggles. But knowing where our identity is in Christ, as long as we've we've asked for forgiveness in that area of our life, we're made whole and we're made new. Um, in his eyes and um, so yeah for for yeah I, I I don't have any way to be able to close that but that's just been something that has yeah. that I've just really been thinking about yeah um, that's good awesome awesome well Jenny thank you thanks for having me yeah absolutely you've been a good guest you know, you oh, said I passed the test. You you said the word penis, but besides <laughs> that, uh, hey. So, um, if you have any questions, concerns, cries of outrage, if you want to censor Jenny for saying potty An- words, anatomical, anatomical words, because she's a nurse. Uh, Beers and Bible Podcast at Gmail or you can reach out to us on YouTube or Facebook. Thank you guys for listening. Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you've heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast at gmail.com.